Welcome to Service Headline News. I am Marty Smith. And I'm Eric Perot. I'm Jake Wall. And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So sit back, get informed, and maybe have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Gentlemen, it's good to be with you for another week of stories. Howdy, fellas. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to be back. Eric, what happened on this date in history? Well, today's date in history, on October 11th, 1776, a British fleet under Sir Guy Charlton defeats 15 American gunboats under the command of Brigadier General Benedict Arnold at the Battle of Valcour Island on Lake Champlain in what is now Clinton County, New York. Although nearly all of Arnold's ships were destroyed, it took more than two days for the British to subdue the Patriot naval force, delaying Charlton's campaign and giving the Patriot ground forces adequate time to prepare a crucial defense of New York. I want to give you a little bit of background for Mr. Benedict. One year earlier, during the Patriots' unsuccessful campaign to take Canada, Charlton, the Royal Governor General of Canada at the time, had managed to escape Patriot General Richard Montgomery's early successful attacks during the summer and autumn. He snuck into Quebec City, organized 1,800 men for the city's defense, and prepared to wait for our Patriots' siege. The Patriots, facing a deadline, you're going to love this, the Patriots facing a deadline as their troops' enlistments expired at the end of the year, <laughs> fire oh, yeah, arrows. they need to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Patriots, 1,800 men, let's see, the arrows carried letters demanding Charlton's surrender. When Charlton did not acquiesce, the Americans began a bombardment of the city with Montgomery's cannon on December 8th. Then they attempted a disastrous failed assault on December 31st, in which Montgomery was killed and Arnold was seriously wounded. The action around Valcour Island was the final stage of Carlton's effort to drive Arnold from Canada once and for all. So Arnold was considered a patriot hero hero for his bravery in the siege of Quebec and early, earlier during the patriot capture of Fort Ticonderoga, New York. On May 10, 75, Arnold, however, did not feel that he had received sufficient accolades for his efforts and while serving as commander of West Point in 1780, agreed to surrender the important Hudson River Fort to the British for a bribe of $20,000. God, that guy. The plot was discovered after British spy John Andre was captured while carrying incriminating papers, forcing Arnold to flee to British protection. He then joined the British in their fight against the country that he had once so violently served. Arnold died in London in 1801. To Americans, his name is still synonymous with the word traitor. One time, all because you didn't get enough kudos. Yeah, didn't think he was promoted fast enough and didn't get recognized. I know there was some military action, or there was some previous military action that, like, due to Arnold's planning and stuff they the americans had won that fight or something like that and he had he had a couple of those uh it was washington's i think most successful or most tactically sound general um and then 
Ego, baby. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. That's ridiculous. that's, I mean, that's the, the the cost of lives, man. I mean, it's like, hey, I want some more accolades. And they're like, hey, shut up. <laughs> well, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you were right when you said something about his wife, because I also believed he had a thing going on with this British John Andre's wife. Oh, yeah. There were some underlying things going on. Maybe that was the bonus they threw in. <laughs> the British women are known for their floozyness. <laughs> they entice you away. Oh, wait, maybe that's French. Once you can make it through all those petticoats, money. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the hunt is on. <laughs> that's good. Good day in history there. And it's also interesting that they were talking about their enlistments were up and they were wanting to get paid. Yes. That's 200 and what, 50 years ago, now our mm-hmm. army guys are on food stamps. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, not that much has changed. Yeah, it's <laughs> rough. Oh, man. All yeah. right, story number one. It's official. The U.S. military will rename bases that honor Confederates. So the whole, uh, I think Trump put a stop to it, but there was a whole commission designed to rename a whole bunch of things that were named after Confederate generals, people, all that kind of thing. So I'm a little of two minds on that as well. One, it's kind of the history. I remember Lincoln was doing uh, some of that. He he brought some of the Confederates into the cabinet to try to show unity. And part of that renaming, you know, our statues and stuff was also to say, hey, you guys are still Americans. But at the same time, the other mind says, yeah, these guys were rebellious. You know, they they broke yeah. away from the United States. We probably shouldn't honor them uh, the way we do. So on October 7th, this is a story by Jared Keller out of a website called Task and Purpose. It's a really good website. You guys should check out check that out, Task and Purpose. And another one is Stripes.com. It used to be Stars and Stripes, but it's Stripes.com. Um, uh, stripes.com is kind of a jerk because they only let you see like a few stories and they're like, now you got to subscribe. Um, it's not much. It's like 15 bucks, but it is kind of pissy off. <laughs> but task and purpose is pretty cool. Cause it does, it does a lot of a uh, little opinion pieces. So when you get a chance, check that out. So the story goes after years of debate, the defense department will finally rename the U S military bases and other installations that bear the names of Confederate officers. In a memo released on Thursday, the 6th of October last week, Secretary Lloyd Austin officially gave the go-ahead to implement the final recommendations of this naming commission. Now, naming commission is short. You, I did not make the name of this commission up. The long name of this commission is... Commission on the Naming of Items of the DOD that Commemorate the Confederate States of America or any person who served voluntarily with the Confederate States of America. That's the name of the commission. There's no acronym for that? The, no, I know. There's no acronym. It's ridiculous. So they're like, ah, we're calling you the Naming Commission. So That's quite the that was probably $10,000 to figure out that name. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the renaming effort comes after 18 months of work by the commission that included 
extensive, quote, extensive consultations with experts, historians, and the communities rooted in the bases in question or posts in question. The recommendations from the Naming Commission call, (laughs) this will blow you away too, call for the Defense Department to alter the names of some 1,111 installations and facilities, including nine major army posts originally named after rebel leaders. We're just going to talk about those nine army posts, right? Oh, so they're going to like buildings and parks and all that, huh? They're, they're doing everything. They're they're wiping it clean. So, yeah. so I'm of a mindset like military-wise, I'm with you, Marty. I understand 100% why you would rename them. But from a military standpoint, they were whooping the North's butt, and they were some of those generals were really good, yeah, at, at strategy and planning and using terrain and things like that. I mean, now I know we don't have Ho Chi Minh Park on <laughs> Peterson Air Force Base, right? I understand that. But, <laughs> I mean, honestly, they were whooping our asses too, our butts too. And like, I mean, there's got to be some sort of acknowledgement of their abilities as well as military leaders. Maybe that's true. And you and you consider, if you consider too, that all those guys, most of those guys, all went to West Point together. That's correct. You know, they were all American. They all fought the Mexican American War, and then they got kind of caught up in all that other stuff. So, I get it. I get it, and you know, we just talked about a traitor in Benedict Arnold. We don't have yeah, any yeah. Benedict Arnold, USS Benedict Arnolds, or anything like that. So. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but you guys oh, I, know, I hey, there's a part of that that is just history, and I, I believe it's important to remember yeah. that history. Now, I'm not yeah. sure we need to name our installations after them, but I also don't think. We need to completely not recognize that it occurred or happened. And that's then that's what I was getting to, Eric. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, acknowledge I, I, that they were good strategists as good yeah. tacticians. I mean, they did. I mean, I guess they they outmaneuvered the majority of the North. They did. Quite, yeah, they quite did. a few times. And it was to the point where the North was about to lose on multiple occasions. Yeah. Lincoln they were had all the they were exactly. up in Pennsylvania, my God. They were yeah. right there, you know? Yeah. And and really, it was kind of more the Norse. Um, you know, once, once they kind of got their generals kind of sorted out late, um, and also the industrial power of the North, too, was able to. I mean, the South yeah. couldn't feed them anything. They're like, we got cotton, dude. We don't make guns, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you got to get yeah. those from the North, so... Um, <laughs> So there was that, but you're right. I mean, there were there were some brilliant military tacticians who were Americans at one point. Um, but I also say that they were traitors. You know, they were traitors to the Constitution. They were traitors to the Union. Um, so I get it. And as as we go down through this, and it's not as bad as you think, because I'm going to read the nine bay the nine posts and what they're naming they're renaming them to. And most of them are good. There's a couple that yeah, not not so great. The nine posts that will be renamed are Fort Benning and Fort Gordon in Georgia, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, 
Fort Hood, Texas, Fort Rucker, Alabama, Fort Polk, Louisiana, and Fort A.P. Hill, Fort Pickett, and Fort Lee in Virginia. So let's start with Fort Benning. Fort Benning was named after Henry L. Benning, a Brigadier General in the Confederate States Army during the Civil War. It will be renamed to Fort Mon- or Fort Moore after Lieutenant General Hal Moore and his wife, Julia Moore. Lieutenant General Hal Moore was the We Were Soldiers yep. with the 1st Battalion, 7th Cav over there in uh, Battle of Iadrang in 1965. Iadrang Valley. And I think he, yeah, he retired as Lieutenant General. His wife uh, was also instrumental in the creation of the casualty notification team, which the Army didn't have at that time. You saw that depicted in the movie where she's walking around giving the uh, giving the letters out to the uh, the then widows of the of the officers who were dying. Fort Benning is going to be changed to Fort Moore. I don't have a problem with that. That's okay. I, I like that actually. Fort yeah, Gordon. Cool. Fort Gordon was named after John Brown Gordon, who was a major general in the Confederate Army, a Georgia governor, a U.S. senator, and a businessman. So you're like, okay, Gordon did a lot. Uh, But it's going to be renamed Fort Eisenhower. That doesn't roll off the the tongue, but but it's after Dwight Eisenhower, the famed general who led the Allied armies across Europe during World War II. He would later go on to serve as the 34th president of the United States. Okay, I don't have a problem with that one either, to be honest with you. Fort A.P. Hill. I I think that's a small fort because you don't really hear about it very much. But Fort A.P. Hill was named in honor of Lieutenant General Ambrose Powell Hill. Ambrose. I think you should bring Ambrose back. How'd you like to to be in first grade with Ambrose? Ambrose. That's That's not a poor man's name. Yeah, you're like a fruit no, salad. Uh, Ambrose Powell Hill. He's a Virginia native who rose from colonel. Listen to this one. He rose from colonel to major general in three months. <laughs> what? what? He's either really good or there was a lot of casualties. Yeah, well, now you understand why Benedict Arnold said, I'm done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm passed up by this guy. Yeah, I'm British now. Colonel for three months. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Uh, Going to the weak chinned women (laughs) (laughs) with bad teeth. Historically, General A. P. Hill took command of one of Lee's three corps in 1863. Um, Fort A.P. Hill will be renamed Fort Walker after Mary Edwards Walker, a surgeon, spy, and advocate for women's rights. Walker served as a doctor during the Civil War, risking capture to treat wounded soldiers. In 1886, she became the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor. Yep. She's I was like, core. that's badass. Okay, I can live with that yeah. one too. Fort Hood was named after Confederate Lieutenant General John Bell Hood. It will be renamed Fort Cavazos after General Richard Cavazos, the Army's first Hispanic four-star general. As a platoon leader in a company of Puerto Rican soldiers during the Korean War, Cavazos was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. He would be given that award a second time for his actions in the Vietnam War. 
before retiring in 1984. So the guy did two wars. My God. That's pretty yeah. badass. Uh, Fort Lee was named after General Robert E. Lee. It will, re- no. it will be renamed Fort Greg Adams after both Lieutenant General Arthur Gregg and Lieutenant Colonel Charity Adams. Gregg, who is black, enlisted in the Army in 1945 and would eventually rise to Deputy Chief of Staff for Logistics of the Army and also supervise the desegregation of the Fort Lee Officers Club. Colonel Charity Adams, who is also black, entered the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps in 1942. Two years later, she was commanding the first unit of black women to serve overseas. The 6888th Central Postal Directory in England. Adams's unit was tasked with delivering mail to and from almost 7 million soldiers fighting in Europe. Fort Pickett. I didn't even know there was a Fort Pickett, to be honest with you. But Fort Pickett was named after Richmond, Virginia native Major General Georgie Pickett, who led the ill-fated charge at the Battle of Gettysburg. It will be renamed Fort Barfoot. (laughs) Technical Sergeant Van Barfoot was awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions in northern Italy on May 23, 1944. Over the course of that day, Barfoot single-handedly took out multiple machine gun emplacements, captured several prisoners, and evacuated two severely wounded soldiers. That's, I, I thought he was Indian. Uh-huh. He's not. It's just a, it's a, a, a unique name. So Fort Barfoot. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to say Fort Barefoot. I know, but it's a... Yeah. How, how many other bases are enlisted in names? That's true. Yeah, very good. Yeah, right. So not that, many. Yeah, not many. For the amount of medal medal of honor winners, enlisted officer ratio. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, and and then you've got one base named after you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's true. No. Well, this was named after an enlisted guy. This next one, Fort Polk, is going to be named after an enlisted guy. Fort Polk was named in honor of Louisiana native son Leonidas Polk. Polk was a prominent Episcopal bishop and corps commander in the Confederate Army. Polk fell at the Battle of Pine Mountain in the Atlanta campaign in 1864. It will be renamed Fort Johnson after Sergeant William Henry Johnson. So in 1918, this is a black man in 1918, during a German raid on his trench, Johnson, quote, threw grenades until his supply was exhausted. When he ran out of grenades, Johnson fired his rifle until he spent his ammunition. When he ran out of bullets, Johnson charged the enemy, swinging his rifle as a club. And when he observed two Germans about to carry his wounded comrade away for interrogation, Johnson abandoned his rifle and instead drew his bolo knife, fighting (laughs) off the Germans at close quarters and pushing them back from the position. These actions earned him the moniker from this was from Teddy Roosevelt back then. They earned him the moniker of quote Black Death. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Teddy Roosevelt called him Black Death. That's a badass dude, man. And he oh, called yeah, and he yeah. called Johnson one of the five bravest Americans to serve during the war. That's fuck yeah. I, I don't know what I, yeah, definitely. That's pretty cool. That that's is pretty cool. cool. Uh a couple more. Fort Rucker 
Uh, Fort Rucker was named in honor of Colonel Edmund W. Rucker, a Civil War Confederate officer who was given the honorary title of general and who became an industrial leader in Birmingham after the war. It will be renamed Fort Novosel for Michael Novosel. During World War II, Novosel flew B-29 bombers. Almost two decades later, Novosel resigned his Air Force commission and joined the Army as a warrant officer and helicopter pilot. He flew 2,543 extraction missions, rescuing over 5,500 seriously wounded soldiers. In 1969, Novosel braved enemy fire to rescue 29 soldiers over the course of 18 hours, for which he was awarded the Medal of Honor. Mm. That's 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 pretty cool, especially for four. If anybody has a right to be... Uh, pissed off about being underappreciated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Arnold, Arnold, this list. Right here. All right. Especially this guy flew B 29s, then he gave it up to go flew to go fly helicopters. So he stepped down Dude. from a commission to a warrant officer. Those helicopter, helicopter pilots in Vietnam didn't last long either. Nope. No, generally right? they did. they're susceptible right. to ground ground Every, fire. They're doing they're right. lowering stuff down to Try to pick up people. Oh, yeah. They're loitering. Great. Those guys were <laughs> balls as big as church bells. Yeah. All right. Last one Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg is named for native North Carolina Confederate General Braxton Bragg. That's a good name, too. Braxton. I like that. It will be the only post to not be renamed for an individual. Uh, the naming committee announced that Fort Bragg would be desi- designated. Fort Liberty. Hmm. I know. So it's funny because uh, as I was, as I was reading this article and then there were people who, you know, comment after the article and this guy sent in, I, he said, quote, I support renaming the bases, but Fort Liberty sounds every bit as moronic as when somebody in the Senate decided to rename French fries as freedom fries. (laughs) Says it sounded retarded then. It sounds retarded now. <laughs> and, and, there's got to be other people out there, you know. Right? I, there was, especially as a special ops space, you know, with all the yeah. uh, uh, the Delta guys, the SF guys, and there there were a lot of comments of like, "Hey, you could have called this a myriad of other big hero places, uh, but you call you came up with Fort Liberty." So that one's the that one's like the, the lamest one. Somebody also said, "Why didn't you call it Fort Audie Murphy, the most decorated soldier in World War II?" Yeah, like, yeah, he was a pretty much of a badass. So uh, maybe there's even been Schwarzkopf from the desert. Yeah, Schwarzkopf would have been good too. Sure. Hmm. Um, the and lastly, implementing the renaming plan will cost the Defense Department roughly. $62.5 million. <laughs> what the? <laughs> so there you they go. They got to change the global. You know, they got to change everybody's email address. And that that's just, that's why, uh, you know, hey, maybe we should cut that special duty pay to all these uh, Air Force yep. special duty assignments. Uh, and make all the young million. $62.5 million to rename all these posts. It's crazy. And we wonder why our troops are going to be on food stamps. 
Come on. Okay, so that's that's happening, uh, and uh, you know I don't know how long it's going to take. They didn't. They had no estimate, but uh, they got to change all the highway signs. <laughs> yeah, that's sign. probably part of it, right? Right. <laughs> all right. Oh. All right. Story number two, Eric. You know, I've, I've got a very cool story, and I know you're aware of it, too. Uh, and, and it's a very long story, so I'm going to try to focus on the actual piece of equipment. So this story covers the new rollout of the Army's $22 billion mixed reality combat goggle. Wow. And I'm thinking, damn, man, I just had night vision, and now I'm going to have mixed reality. Come on. <laughs> the technology's crazy. Um, so... This thing revolves around the Integrated Visual Augmentation System, or IVAS. So the term IVAS, IVAS is what they're calling this new goggle. And the contract is good for $22 billion. So oh my gosh. the Army's <laughs> going to purchase 40,000 of these devices. And there's going to be three versions. Uh, the first, uh, the combined version 1.0 and 1.1. Uh, will go out, was supposed to go out in September 22. It's been delayed. Uh, it looks like it'll go out in the spring of 2023. Um, I want to go right into the equipment. So the Army will send 5,000 IVAS 1.0 devices to units in training and doctrine command, such as the Maneuver Center of Excellence for use in training, schoolhouses, and experimentation. I think you're going to have to need a PhD to figure out how to use these damn things. Holy by the way. shit, yeah. Um, it's just for the Army, though? Right now, yep, it's going to go out to operational <laughs> units and can be used in garrison field training and on combat deployments. Units such as the 82nd Airborne Division, 75th Ranger Re Regiment, and the 101st Airborne Division will receive the technology first due to their unique missions. So version 1.1 and 1.0, they're very similar on the outside. Both have night vision as good or better than most fielded systems. Both also have thermal sights in the same device, present only in one other goggle that has been uh, fielded to a select group of other close combat forces. So they're saying what the, the nearest competitor is close, but we have the advantage when we talk about the version 1.1 and 1.0. Hmm. Um, General Schneider says, if we have to plan to fight a near-peer threat, I've never heard that, near-peer threat, they're going to be equipped with night vision too, and if you use a laser, they see a laser too. So no. this system, 1.0 1.1, has a passive targeting, which allows you to not be detected because you're not using a laser. So it's a passive targeting system. Um, with passive targeting, it's not a concern. So they have no idea you're targeting them. I love this. This is a quote from General Schneider. They have no idea you're targeting them until a bullet hits them. Nice. <laughs> I love that part. Hey, hey, Eric, near peer is referring to similar capabilities. So... Us okay. versus China versus Russia. Well, Russia before they went into Ukraine. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
or <laughs> or like what we anticipated Russia being. Um, yeah, very similar, equal capabilities kind of thing. Not mm. us versus Taliban. Okay. All right. That, and it makes sense, uh, you yeah. know, when it's relatable yeah. to someone who's got equivalent technology. Yeah, so nuclear might be Taliban also based on what we left behind kind of thing, right? <laughs> they got they got night vision now, huh? <laughs> well who did Rourke, who did Rourke, who did Rourke Denver go after in uh, <laughs> Costa Rica Middle of Honor, Costa Ricans, baby? <laughs> so continuing, the IBAS is a standalone system that contains situational awareness tools in one package beyond any of the Army's current systems, including Net Warrior, which was a long-running soldier-born computer in a smartphone or tablet. The device also works as a vehicle, ground, or air integration tool for dismounted soldiers. That's part of the ongoing work with soldiers integrating the IVAVs with helicopters, the Bradley Fighting Vehicle, and the Striker. Up until now, soldiers using wireless routers in the Bradley were able to see the same view as the vehicle commander driver or gunner through their optics. So this thing is going to allow them multiple capabilities. My question is, how do you have situational awareness around you? Well, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's like a like a HUD. You know, is that, does that spot friendly units and, and throw them up on your screen so – you know who's there just by the emitter that they're mm. wearing. You know, maybe that gives them a situational awareness. I mean, I'm looking at the picture of this thing in this article. And, yeah. you know, it's it's on their Kevlar helmet with a cable coming down to their chest that plugs into something. I don't know if that's the battery. It is uh, a battery. But then there's a whole lot of other cables coming out of that thing. And I was like... How are you doing your mission with all that wiring? It looks insane. Yeah, but the one. I mean, it would be nice version, to have. It would be nice to have all that that data. Yeah, know? the one point two version, which is the third version, third and final version, will also be slimmer and lighter, and the cables will run to your back. The battery will be located on your back. Is this so, just for training, right? No. This, well, this is in wartime. This, yeah, this will become operational uh, with those units that we talked about a few minutes ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, so, it's wild. In versions 1.2, developers seek to cut the total weight to 2.85 pounds or less. Same or better than the NVGB currently in, in uh, the field. Humidity control and moisture problems noted in last year's review have been <laughs> fixed. On the IVAS 1.0 oh. and 1.2. That's good. So, we, can, we can use it in the rain now. All three versions work with the family of weapons, sites, individual, and rapid target acquisition software. FWSI was included in the NVGB fielding and allows users to wireless, wirelessly link their goggle <laughs> to their rifle optic, optic to view targets without shouldering the weapon. Jeez, right? I mean, you get shoot from the hip. And how hip are you? How often are you going to have to train to make this thing part of you? Right? I don't know. That's 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 pretty unique. So, to summary, this is a, a goggle that brings night vision, thermal vision, 
yeah. situational awareness. Yep. And I, I, I thought I read some part that they were experimenting with a night vision slash binocular goggle too. You did read that. And I don't know um, if they're integrating that, but my God, I, yeah. it, it's a good thing they're giving these to like the special ops guys, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, some of the guys I knew, <laughs> you know, when they were first in, I was like, ah, uh, I mean, I, I know a guy who, who left his weapon leaned up against the track and forgot it. And the track took yeah. off. And he brought his weapon back in like a bag. It was like it just totally destroyed it. And that was, that was, a, that was an M16. This IVAS oh. is about 1,000 M16s. Oh, my goodness. What I like about it, thermal sights cannot see through glass, but low light sensors can. So you're going to have a low light sensor that can see through glass. Meanwhile, low light sensors can't see through dust, smoke, or other obscurance but thermals can by combining the two users get the best of both worlds so when you talk about remember wearing night vision and the uh the ambient light available you couldn't see unless there was just a little bit yeah you had to have something right this is going to be fixed man all those things are going to go away you're going to be able to use two sensors depending on your situation which is very cool yeah that is pretty cool but at the cost of $22 billion. <laughs> Very cool, Eric. Very right. cool. Story number three, Jake. All right. Well, everybody's been asking for it for years, decades, <laughs> or months, whatever. Um, <laughs> in the Stars and Stripes, stripes.com. Goodbye, bullet points. Air Force wants award narratives. Mm. So instead of doing the bullet for, for bullet point format of action impact result, they are going towards a more understandable, relatable format, which has historically been the biggest problem, right? Like, Marty, you and I were space nerds for a while. It's very difficult to explain what we did to aircraft maintainers that are rating these packages at the group level. You know, when we were deployed, some of the best commanders we had could actually break it down and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're not going to speak in acronyms. They did this. And the same thing goes from cops, weapons loaders, whatever explaining the difference and how important that was or what the action they took was to the big picture will be easier in narrative format, according to them. Now we all know how that will go. Give it a year and everybody will be firewall fives again. (laughs) I forgot that term. (laughs) Right. Give it a year. Everybody gets threes. Nobody's a, (laughs) Of a three, <laughs> but um, um, I I hope it will be easier for people to understand what these airmen do, or or you know any well it's airmen right now, what these airmen do, and it'll be easier to portray how their actions impacted the the mission as a whole. So that's I, it. 
I, I think it's a good thing. I think so too. But yeah. we all know how is you know that kind of thing gets kind of corrupted after a while. Well, sure, it all does, right? They come out with a new oh. EPR system, and it's good at first, and then after a while, it's like, oh, everybody's still the best, right? Yeah, there's no more. And, and we've all been complaining about it, and they, you know, oh, use up all your space, do the acronyms. Spell. That was the dumbest. That was the dumbest right. rule. So, uh, if anybody's listening from the other services, the Air Force basically conducted their EPRs and their uh, awards programs just on bulletized. So you had the space on the award form, which is pretty similar to all the other services, but you had to fill it all the way up or else they were like, oh, I guess he doesn't deserve it. <laughs> and so you fill it up with just dumb bullets. It was so dumb. Fluff. You would spend hours wordsmithing or something. Yep. You know, I Love. need a seven letter word. And because that's all the spaces I have, space. right? Yeah. I know it's so dumb. And you're like, wow, there's T's and I's, but the G's take up a lot of space, and you know. <laughs> and there were people who really, the golden pen people, were really had made an art out of it. They were really good oh, at, and at doing. You know it. what? Yeah, there's a handful of them, and they're the good ones. Actually, take time and are like not just worried about the space. They're actually worried about how to break down what the problem was. Right? We. Marty, we, we had Colonel Mangles, well, Major Mangles, in the desert, the only South African in the U.S. Air Force. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, thick, thick South African accent. Really? And uh, Yeah, yeah. Active duty, South African, grew up, born and raised South Africa, came over, got his citizenship, then joined the Air Force. And he was my deployment commander on the first round out there as a space nerd. Wow. But he had the ability to get rid of acronyms and talk to people and explain yeah. things at a basic level so yeah. everybody could understand. Yeah. And we won so many stinking awards. Really? And then I'm not going to say who the next deployment commander is, but then, <laughs> man, it was dried everything just dried up <laughs> well that might have been because i chose not to write anybody up for anything but uh well he did but it was like 14 acronyms in a one sentence kind of thing you know eric did you have those foibles with award writing or epr writing absolutely was it, was it easier because you were in an afsc security forces that were you kind of were all the you you knew the language all the way up to the top. You, yeah, but there was still shit that, like, uh, he really washed his LE sedan and waxed it to a, a high gloss so Dumb stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, he successfully yeah. put his boots on day after day. The single-handedly dressed. He single-handedly dressed himself every morning. <laughs> his decorations were in line on his pocket to a T. I had, I had a yep. book. Um, and, and in fact, when I was in the army, I had I had a book. They sold it at clothing sales, and the the first third of it, you know, it was a small little flip manual. But the first third of it were the beginnings of bullets. The 
middle third was like the ends of bullets. And then the, the last third was like key adjectives, you know, that kind of action nouns, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. it was almost, it was almost like, well, I don't, I don't like Mad Libs. You could like take, okay, I'm going to take this beginning on page two. I'm going to combine it with page 42 and then I'm going to end it with page 37. And you would have a whole bullet and you didn't yeah, have to do yeah. anything. It was crazy. So I think going to a narrative is good uh, as long as you have supervisors and people in charge who are going to give a shit and write it the correct way. Dear Diary, Chairman <laughs> Steffi, <laughs> this is going to be the first full year. <laughs> he did a great thing today. Let me I tell think you about it. He deserves a medal. <laughs> you ever get embarrassed so we were talking about this today i would and williams talked about it how we would get embarrassed if we had to wear blues around any other branch because <laughs> yes, we had sure, so right. stinking rib i mean i'm not complaining and we had just freaking a rack up to your collarbone right <laughs> and then the army rolls in and they're like i got three. Oh, what'd you do yeah i was yeah. deployed for 48 months straight and you know <laughs> 10 geez. years 10 years in the army i had I used a flushing toilet for a decade <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah and, and, you'll con- and you'll continue to do that unless you're in the air force and you'll get a medal for it uh, yes exactly but 10 years in the army, I think I had six decorations. Yeah, but yeah. those things were really, really high speed for you guys. Like if you if you had a CIB or you know, it meant something. They were it was wow. I think it was I think it was a more rigorous uh screening process for if you put in for an army uh achievement medal or an army commendation medal, it's like, okay, what did you do? Right. You know? Um, this wasn't just, hey, thanks for being in for a while. You know, you actually had to achieve something. So, uh, but you stand next, to, when I first came in the Air Force, you stand next to somebody, you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy's an E4 and he's got three rows already. What is he doing? Yeah. Well, you look at VFW posts and they're like, this guy was a lieutenant and he's got a bronze star. Yeah. And then you look at today's army and they're like, what'd you do for that bronze star? Well, I deployed to LUD for 14 months. <laughs> right, right. Like, well, that does suck, but I don't know yeah. if it's worth that. Yeah. Well, now I, we need the citations of the guys that received them in Vietnam and before oh, that. Yeah. 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 Not even close. And I think You're that like, I, I think that started, you could see that started, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago where they were like, okay, we're going to use this as incentives for people to stay in. So we're going to over- award people um and, and every everybody in the military you know when you're hearing it you're like oh, come on man you benedict know? would be proud <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks jake last story we got there has been a report from a source <laughs> called the westfalian all right uh, because of all this recruitment and retention issues that we see in the military right right now, uh, the Joint Chiefs have put a committee together to creatively think of new ideas 
to offer military members to join or to stay in. So the Westphalian, Westphalian, sorry, has listed the top five ideas out of this committee. So we're going to go down in order from five down to one. Jake, what do you got for number five? All right. And number five, putting the joint in joint chiefs. <laughs> he laced brownies or pound cake for dessert in every MRE. You know, that's a pretty good incentive, you know, for for the youth that are joining up today. Every yeah, MRE will have up brownies. Like every MRE will have a marijuana pound cake in it. Good idea, joint chiefs. Deployments will be a happy thing. <laughs> Eric, People what do you got? Giving up, their, uh, giving up their meal plans. <laughs> Number four for the top five retention ideas. Voucher for sleeve tattoo to re-up to be done by the lowest bidder tattoo artist, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the lowest bidder tattoo Get a full artist. sleeve at a discount. I'll do that for 20 bucks, dude. <laughs> Crayon size tattoo needles. <laughs> hey, it looks that? good. That was supposed to say mother. What does that say? Cloth hair. I did it in my native language. <laughs> You're from New Jersey. <laughs> All right, number three. A one-year free subscription to a content creator of your choice on OnlyFans. <laughs> I should bring him in. Is, I think he, I'm going to sign back up. <laughs> I don't know, man. The Bennies. The Bennies. No retirement, but OnlyFans. <laughs> OnlyFans for a year. Yeah, I like it. Number two, free AR-15. Oh, Oh, prorated over a year, though. There was a little asterisk there. Sorry. So, over prorated five years, over five years. <laughs> yeah, for over five years, you'll get your AR 15. You got to pay it back. It's like a signing bonus. That's nice, though. So, your first year in, you get your lower receiver. Next year <laughs> in, you get your upper receiver. <laughs> if you don't get kicked out within five years, you'll have a full AR 15. AR 15. Good nice. bonus. That's a smarter move than just giving them the full thing. Oh, right yeah, that, yeah. Because you know? then, they, you know, you can't be trusted then. But oh, over yeah. five years, <laughs> you'll you'll have the trigger time. Yeah. You'll know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, unless you're in the Space Force. <laughs> <laughs> then they'd be like, what the heck is this? They'll have five parts, but they wouldn't know how to put them together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Please refer God. to your local army base. <laughs> And the, and the number one, the number one retention idea, your physical fitness score is now determined by your Call of Duty ranking. <laughs> That'll awesome. bring them in. I'm telling you. <laughs> so like, God damn, I'm like, I'm tenth in the United States. I'm good. <laughs> hey, there's your bullet oh, for your newest EPR. Oh, oh yeah, your diary. <laughs> Today I stayed up till four in the morning, whooping fourteen-year-olds at Call of Duty <laughs> and maxing my PFT. Yep. <laughs> wow. I've been studying so hard at this. All right, we look forward to more stories out of the Westphalian. All right. <laughs> in the weeks that come. 
All right, gentlemen, that was a good week. Good stories. Uh, on behalf of Master Sergeant Perot and Senior Master Sergeant Wall, I'd like to thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please leave a like and share the podcast with someone else. Let us know how we did in the comments, and as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Gentlemen, I'll see you next week. Oh, hold on. I'm pausing my Call of Duty game. Hold on. All right. Later, fellas. Hey, Eric, I'll trade you my nacho cheese for your pound cake. (laughs) Right on. Have a good week, everyone.